0: Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of MensHelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Men Talk podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Landau, and this week's episode, we have the honor and privilege of having... Kelly Jean-Philippe. Kelly is an amazing guy. He is the host of the Welcome to Fatherhood podcast, also one of our newest board members for Men's Helpline. He hails from Philadelphia. So Kelly, I'll let you introduce yourself and uh, feel free to share your story, your journey, and then uh, we'll take it from there. Floor is yours.
1: Thank you, man. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, As you said, my name is Kelly Jean-Philippe. I live in Philadelphia, PA. I'm a father of two. Um, the journey to getting to my sons is the reason or part of the reason why we're having this conversation. Became a dad back in 2020, uh, May 2020, and most recently February of this year. Um, my eldest is three years old. My youngest is going to turn three months old tomorrow. Uh, exactly tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I'm the host of the welcome to fatherhood podcast. Um, typically the flavor of the podcast was to highlight my experiences as a father and also inviting other men to talk about their fatherhood journey. Then that morphed into exploring the not so spoken about aspects of fatherhood. And then once I've had my experience with multiple pregnancy losses, um, I've Definitely shifted the focus now to really settle on this particular experience that men and dads go through in trying to grow their family.
0: Very nice. It's a, and you know important that you're sharing your stories and going into details and opening up about it because, like you said, there's not really much support out there for men, and it's not really talked about much. So, what was that? you know, experience, I know you had a journey and miscarriages before long, along the way, what was that experience like for you in terms of the process, in terms of how things worked and went? I know you went through a bunch of them. So what was that like? What was the conversations? Like, how, how did it work for you?
1: Yeah. So uh I like to start the story by setting the stage and saying that along, I think, uh, while we were going to get our first pregnancy confirmed, uh, one of the physicians that we spoke with planted a seed in the back of my mind, which framed how I handled or mishandled, rather, um our first loss of pregnancy. And verbatim, this physician said, don't be surprised if the first pregnancy doesn't stick. And those words were so... Uh, influential in the worst possible way because after the pregnancy was confirmed that it was not a viable pregnancy, my wife went into a grieving that I could not relate to. And I just didn't think it was even that big a deal, right? Because here is this person who obviously knows what they're talking about and The way that they spoke about it, their attitude, disposition, the very words that they used created a sense in my mind that, you know what, this isn't a big deal. Like, yeah, I understand, you know, we tried and it didn't work out, but it's the first one. So it's not supposed to stick, right? Or at least by the way that that person said it, there was a higher probability of it not sticking. And that really... Created an environment where I was not able to relate to my wife. Um, we didn't, or I didn't connect to the pain that she was feeling. It almost felt like I had to pretend like I was as sorrowful as she was. Um, yeah. And, and that just didn't land itself for anything good. I mean, I completely mishandled that first loss of pregnancy and the conversations that we had. I was impatient with her. I was callous. I was cold Um, and trying to understand why she had secluded herself so much in her grief and her pain. Um, I didn't understand what was going on in her body or what was going on with her body. I didn't understand that she was feeling all of the effects of the DNC afterwards and what that meant for her. I I didn't understand any of that stuff. I didn't try to understand because the idea was very clear in the back of my mind. Don't be surprised if the first pregnancy doesn't stick. After our second miscarriage, one that I had built my hopes on because the first one was not supposed to stick. Right. But the second one for sure, like this one is going to be the one. And that one was also a non-viable pregnancy. Now I was feeling a lot of the things that my wife had felt in the first miscarriage and now she was feeling again. And so now I'm happening upon all of this emotion and all of these thoughts and all of these questions and feeling like the rug is just yanked underneath me and I'm free falling into this black hole. And I just couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that, you know, we were having such difficulty producing a child. Um, the issue was not so much conceiving because my wife got pregnant. It was just a matter of why isn't it carrying out to its full fruition? Um, and I started asking myself a whole lot of questions. I started making a lot of harmful assumptions about myself, you know, maybe the problem is me. You know, maybe I'm the one who is not healthy. Maybe I'm the one who's maybe it's my sperm that's not strong enough to to help carry this pregnancy, you know, forward. Um and all sorts, I mean, just all sorts of internal turmoil and questions because now The expectation was not set for what happens after the first pregnancy or loss of pregnancy. And there was nothing like I I I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone. I didn't know if that was the right thing to do. My wife had asked me to not say anything to anyone, you know, for the first two pregnancies. And so here we are and I'm going through all of this. We're going through all of this. But we can't share it with anyone because no one knew that we were pregnant to begin with. So it was a really complicated time, man.
0: I'm right there with you. What was going through your mind? I knew you said it stuck with you. What the doc said about the first pregnancy. I mean, where does he get the balls to say a comment like that? I mean, he's a physician for crying out loud. Physicians are not supposed to say comments like that. They they aren't they trained with bedside manner and all this knowledge. I mean. What was going through your mind when he when he said that? What was your response to him?
1: Well, at the time, I didn't know what to respond. It didn't catch me off guard. It wasn't off putting to me. I just thought it was a matter of fact. And and even saying that out loud, it it helps me to realize just how much stock I had put on this person's professional. Opinion, right? Their, their professional perspective. Um, I work in a healthcare setting and sometimes I'm, I'm a huge proponent of telling people what's going on in a clear, transparent way. But what was lacking in this instance, now looking back at it is that that person didn't have a sense of sincerity and warmth in the way that they approached the conversation. It was just this one-off sentence. Don't be surprised if the first pregnancy doesn't stick. And that was the end of that. Like there was no further conversation. There was no, listen, the likelihood of a pregnancy ending in miscarriage in the first trimester is like 80% according to some studies, right? Uh, this is devastating. It's a common thing, but it doesn't lessen how devastating it is. There was no such type of conversation. It was just as simple as this is what it is. Don't be surprised if it doesn't stick. And then you take that and you run with it. And that's, that's what I did. I took it and I ran with it. I let it set my expectations. I let it frame my behavior. I let it do all the things that I just described, you know, doing a little while ago. And You know, to your comment about physicians being trained with bedside manner, I think that's one of the, that's one of the things that I would love to impact directly because there is a way to have this conversation that both presents the harsh reality of how difficult it might be for a family trying to not just conceive, but expand their family. But there's also a way to have that conversation that communicates a sense of empathy, that communicates a sense of, you know, in an ideal world, this would not be happening. We're not living in an ideal world. And so we're, we're here to help support in whatever way we can if this thing should turn out to be as difficult as it's looking in this particular instance.
0: Yeah, what you said is is right on. I mean... Those things that you're saying are so super powerful. I wanna go through the miscarriage experience with you. Did you did anyone at ever point ask you how you're feeling or how you're gonna deal with it? Did they no. look into the to, to your eyes and say, Miscarriage sucks. I'm sorry you're going through it. You know, no. I hear from you. No this is what the process is, no. this is how we're gonna deal with it. No. They just left you to your own ways and you know, obviously it stuck with you based on what Doc said you know, the first comments. So the way you handled it, obviously, you know, it's a trauma, it's a challenge, but blame it on the doc, right? And
1: I'll tell you this, the whole process, the whole process, especially the first two, the last two are kind of different, but particularly the first two, right? So I already spoke about my mishandling of the first one, but even then the person who was in focus was my wife. Right. Because obviously she was the one who was carrying. She was the one who is carrying and all of that. The second time, same thing. There was no. The second time, I don't know if I shared this story with you before, Daniel, but the second time I go with my wife again to to get the DNC. And what's happening is that we're waiting in a small room and this time the physician walks in. And he completely, I'm talking about completely dismisses my presence in the room. He sits to his back towards me. He addresses my wife. He gets her consent. He gets up and he walks out.
0: Are you kidding at, me?
1: at no point did the man make eye contact with me. At no point did the man acknowledge me. At no point did the man turn to me and say, hey, I am. I'm so glad you're here, but I'm so sorry that you are all going through. There was no such thing. So my my drive to talk about my experience now comes way after the fact of these events, because now I'm looking retroactively at these events and I'm saying to myself, not only did I have the not only did I assume the position of just like, "Hey, she's the most important one here. Let's make sure that she's okay and in the process, I was checking my own stuff and I was preventing myself from from expressing from feeling from to a certain degree because I wanted to make sure that my wife was was okay. I wanted to make sure that she was getting treated properly. I wanted to make sure that she was getting the right treatment i was I wanted to make sure that she was okay particularly after I realized how much I fumbled the first instance, I really wanted to step up how I was there to support her moving forward. But so that was my disposition, but throughout the process, particularly in these first two, no one ever stopped to ask, Hey man, how are you doing? Right? None of the healthcare professionals ever asked for my input, for my opinion, for me to, to create a space, to, nothing. There was no such thing. And, dude, I, shoot, I don't, to this day, I don't know what to do with that.
0: I think this is just the general problem with physicians, because oftentimes they're trained on, okay, this is the patient sitting in front of me. Everybody else is secondary to get in the way, Right. They're not focused on what we need to take care of. We need to take care of the patient who's in dire need, bleeding him mean, in this miscarriage. Right? Let's take care of them. We'll deal with everybody else on the side. Let's solve the problem. And I think that's something that needs to be changed in the way physicians are trained and how they're spoken about because really the spouse is really involved in that process. If you're going through a miscarriage, the spouse is experiencing it just as much as they are just because of the fact that, yes, we're not the ones bleeding. But we're still the ones in the room watching, you know, the the bleeding, the uncomfortable thing, the emotions, the the you know, if they're gonna have a DNC dealing with the fallout. It's traumatic. And the clinicians really need to understand that and approach it from a different perspective. Yes, obviously, if it's a dire emergency and she's bleeding out for, for having a miscarriage, they gotta treat her right away. But Talk to you, at least afterwards. Say this is what we're doing. I think this needs to change in healthcare. One hundred percent. I'm curious to know, because I hear this from 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 a lot of men, and in particular myself. Had I not gone through you know fertility and, and miscarriage, you know, I'm a completely different person. It completely changed me in my vision and things of how I'm going about today. Mm-hmm. Do you think that having those experiences of those miscarriages made you a stronger man? Made your relationship? much stronger, made that connection, you know, much deeper and and changed you as a person?
1: One hundred percent, yes. Um for so I've known my wife my entire life and being married to her is, you know, I often say this, it, it it living life with her is easy because we have very similar backgrounds very similar life experiences very similar stories so mar- being married to her as someone that i've already known a lifetime lends itself to make our relationship and the way that we've handled our relationship it it's very it's like a continuation of a lifelong friendship that being said there is nothing more there's nothing that tests people more than when you go through something with somebody else that traumatic, that many times together, and it can go in a variety of different ways. But for us, to your point, what it has done is it's really forced me to think about how, you know, the, the, the level of the implication of the decisions that she's had to make so that we could be parents, right? I mean, I, I love my wife on, 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 on a much deeper level after having gone through these experiences. I respect the experience that her body has gone through on a much more deeper and personal level because I know what the history that is embedded in her body that part of that history or all of that history has allowed me to be a father, right? Um, We have these pictures, these canvas pictures uh, hung up on our, on our wall. And the other day I was looking at one of them and it was like a week or so before we got married five years ago, we're about to celebrate our five year anniversary at the end of this month. And I am looking at her. I mean, she looks like an old classic Coca-Cola bottle. I mean, she looked beautiful. And I'm looking at her now. And just to see the transformation of her body. And I told her the other day, I said, you know what? I love the way you look now more than how you look back then. Because back then, absolutely, you looked beautiful. Right now, the beauty that you have, the beauty that your, the story of the beauty that your body now has is, is deeply meaningful to me because she has offered me the most precious thing to her, which is her entire self, including her body in repeated occasions to the point that we've had four miscarriages just to attain two children. So my wife has been pregnant six times just so that we could have two kids. So yeah, dude, absolutely. It has transformed how I think about her. It's transformed how I feel about her. It's transformed how I see myself. It's transformed our relationship. Um, I was saying this to someone the other day. My wife, she could spend the rest of her life And never say the words, I love you to me. And I would never doubt for a second that my wife loves me as a result of everything that she has put her body through so that we could be parents.
0: I love that you're using the we aspect in it because a lot of times couples don't think of it as we, right? Oftentimes it's saying she went through the miscarriage or she's struggling with infertility. But the fact that you're adding that we aspect when you look at going through these type of struggles, whether it be infertility or whether it be miscarriage, or infant loss or stillbirth, any of these traumatic experiences, when you add that we factor, it's not she's pregnant, it's not she lost the baby, it's not her miscarriage, it's a we. And I think that perspective when when it's so powerful that you say the word we, because when you do it together as a couple and you're experiencing it together. And you're talking about it to get that open communication. It changes the dynamic in that relationship and puts you really involved in the process and helps you get it through it. and makes you stronger.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's not rocket science, right? She couldn't have gotten pregnant by herself. Like I contributed to that. You know, I'm the guy who's responsible for getting her pregnant. So it's not just her process. Yeah, she's the one. Who's been tasked by the powers that be, right? For that process to go to full fruition and manifest itself in her body. But that process was initiated also by me. And it's when that child comes out, it's not her child. It's our child, right? That, that child has her DNA and my DNA. So the, the whole thing is what we are going through together. And even in light of that, I'll share this with you. After all of these miscarriages, there was a point where I felt like I was responsible for what was being manifested in my wife's body. It almost felt as if I were the one doing that to her. You know, I I took a, a level of responsibility subconsciously. And the only reason why I'm able to verbalize it now is because recently I was having a conversation with a miscarriage doula and it surprised me that those words were coming out of my mouth. Like I was actually confessing to that out loud. I felt responsible for what was being manifested in my wife's body. Cause there was this voice in the back of my mind that kept saying, you know, she couldn't have gotten pregnant without you. So you're the one who's responsible for the DNCs. You're the one responsible for the miscarriage happening at home. Like you're the one responsible for the changes in her body. You're the one responsible for the way that she now perceives herself. Like you're responsible for that. Even though I know that this was a choice we both made together It it was very hard, and in some regards, it still is for me to remove myself from the equation and without feeling, and not feel rather, a lot of direct involvement into this whole thing.
0: That's very powerful. I mean, what you just said basically sums up how men feel, right? Because men want to fix things. Oftentimes, when you're going through a miscarriage, they put the blame on themselves and that sounds like a little bit of what, what you went through. Like I caused that and that, yeah. and what do we know? We know obviously miscarriage, it happens. It's part of the cycles of pregnancy. It's something that we did or what we caused it, whatever reason a miscarriage happens. But that blame aspect, I think a lot of guys are struggling with that blame because they're blaming themselves for this miscarriage. Was it something that I did? Was it something that I caused? Yeah. You know, and that, that takes a dramatic effect on their mental health and their physical and emotional health. Yeah, 100%. What? How has, how has this experience with all these miscarriages shaped your relationship with, after, you know, the recurrent miscarriage and eventually having, now you have a three-year-old and a three-month-old, how did that shape the relationship with your current kids? Do you think that your parenting, as a parent, you cherish it a little bit more because... You had gone through miscarriage you know, and then had had a child afterwards. What's the relationship with your kids as a father? And have you even spoken? I know obviously they're, they're three years and three months, but have you thought about what that conversation might look like with your, with your kids about, Hey, you know, we had miscarriages before you or you know, shaped your parenting style at all.
1: Yeah. So when my youngest was born back in february my wife and i we the moment the doctor the moment the doctor held him up we um we cried i mean we just we absolutely bawled and we were both surprised by the reaction because when our firstborn was, uh you know was born we didn't necessarily we didn't cry I mean, we were, we were happy. We were excited to finally have a child after two miscarriages, but we didn't cry partly because it was in the middle of COVID and there was a lot of, I mean, the, the world was literally beginning to be set on fire as a result of the George Floyd thing while we were in the hospital. I mean, fun fact, that's not so fun. George Floyd died on the 25th of May. My son was born on the 26th of May. So by the time the video of George Floyd's murder was circulating and then producing, you know, an an outcry, we were in the hospital. So we were entirely oblivious to all of that. And then coming out of the hospital, you know, my wife's, Dog for 13, 14 years died. So we left the hospital and we went straight to the vet. To, so there was a lot of external stuff that was happening while we were while we welcomed our firstborn. When Eden, our secondborn, when he was born, you know, the weight of how much time it took to get to him, and the weight of all of the previous miscarriages, at least for me, it felt like it finally lifted off of my shoulders and I could not stop myself from crying. My wife had him via C-section. And so about an hour into his being born, I'm in the OR and I'm holding him and cradling him and talking to him. And I can't stop crying. Like I was crying for the whole time while I'm holding him, because I'm looking at him and I'm saying, I can't believe he's actually here. Like we actually have a second child after all that we've been through. So it definitely plays a role into how I relate to my sons, into how I see them and how I frame myself as a parent. It it absolutely plays a role into that. What I love about having this opportunity to to talk about my experience, talking about my experience on my own platform, writing about it, talking about it with other people, is that should my sons decide to become fathers and to pursue starting a family and what have you, and they go through a similar event, I can now – present many conversations to them so that they can hear a variety of different perspectives so that they understand, or they know perhaps can even relate to the fact that, you know, this sucks that it's happening. It's not, you're not the first one it's happened to. It happened to daddy too. And not just daddy, but so many other people. So it's, um it, it's, I don't know if there is I don't know if there's a space to talk to them about it now. Um, I don't know if as they're growing it's going to be, you know, it's gonna come up in conversation. I don't know if they might have like a school project or something and I'll have to talk to them about it. I just know that my disposition is never going to be to shy away from having this conversation with them whenever appropriate and should they go through the same experience you know i will be there to walk them through it and open up about how they got there and the journey that me and my wife their mom had gone through in order to get to them
0: that's amazing and really inspiring And I'm glad you're doing this and I'm glad, you know, your kids can, can listen to this and others as well. I want to take a a step back for a second because you mentioned you were in the OR crime. Yeah. Were you actually in the OR during, during the C-section or did you come in afterwards?
1: No. So I was actually in the OR for both C-sections. Uh, they prepped my wife and I was waiting in, in the PACU room and, um, as soon as they were ready for me to go, someone came from the OR, they grabbed me and I was stationed right next to, to my wife's head. Uh, so the first time, you know, in the middle of COVID, the whole nine, you know, we, we, we were talking. She had a horrible experience. The second time though, we, uh, back in February, this past February, we were talking. I mean, it was just like a casual conversation while all of this was happening. I had my phone ready. And as soon as they were able to get to him and pick him up and hold him up, I mean, it was just there he is. And we just we looked at each other. We looked at him and then we were just we're just overcome with emotion. And we just cried, man. I put my head next to her and I told her how much how beautiful she looked and how much I loved her. And, you know, we did it and we just kept crying. And yeah, dude, until they wheeled her out of the OR, um,
0: I was right there the whole time. Incredible. I want to ask you your opinion on a very delicate matter. Yeah. If we as men are allowed in the OR during a section why is it that you think the doctors won't talk to us? But the experience of a miscarriage, a DNC, or even, you know, if, in the fertility sense of not being allowed in the room for a retrieval, right? If we're allowed in the C room for a C section delivery, but why are you, why aren't we as men allowed for all the other parts and other aspects of, of the process?
1: Man, I don't think I've ever thought about that question until this very moment, but that is a very, that, that's an important question. Recently, I was in a conversation with someone and what became clear to me is that throughout the whole process, so stepping way back to the beginning, right? Imagining a man who is for the first time becoming a father and he's stepping into healthcare spaces with his partner, let's assume just to keep it clean, that's his wife and the moment they get to the healthcare setting, their trajectories, according to my humble opinion, their trajectories are set on a different course. Even though he might show up, you know, this guy is doing his due diligence and showing up appointment after appointment, their trajectories of the experience is still set on different paths. The. Policies in those places, the decorum in those places, uh everything about that space subconsciously, in my opinion, communicates to him. You are stepping in foreign territory, not necessarily that it's hostile territory. It's just foreign territory, because here the rightful citizen, if you will, is mom. You are just, even the language that is used, Daniel, right? You are the, so for me, I could attest to this myself. I did show up to all of the appointments with my wife and I, because of COVID, I would have to sign this, uh, this thing to get a green pass that would allow me to be there, you know, checking off that I don't have any COVID symptoms. And so when I would indicate my relationship to the patient, my wife, it wasn't a, are you a partner or a husband? It was, are you the support person? So even the language indicates that there is a clear differentiation that is made here. She's the patient. You are the support person. She is mom and you are the support person, right? And all of those things, to me, communicates this sense of, okay, it sets me up, rather. Let me say it this way. It sets me up as a guy to say, all right, clearly, there is one who is the primary person here. Duly so, because I'm not pregnant. She is. Nevertheless, that now makes me feel like I got to take a step back. So I'm not looking to asking that question that you just asked. Why am I being left out of this space? Why can't I also be there? Because the expectation, just like that physician said, don't be surprised if the first pregnancy doesn't stick. Now that expectation has been set, right? So I don't know if that responds to the question, but I think it has to do with just the way that this whole time period, this whole system is framed. It certainly caters to one party more than the other. And to what you said earlier, it doesn't account for, or it doesn't include the fact that it is both man and woman, mom and dad who are experiencing every aspect and every facet of this journey.
0: it's so true and it's so so unfortunate that this is what's going on in the american healthcare system today and even around the world that the, this is how it's treated you're i know you're a chaplain you know and you're involved in, in the healthcare setting but what's been your role and involvement as a chaplain in the healthcare system to patients who have been going through miscarriage or stillborn have you played a role in terms of the not necessarily the medical decision making but the aftermath and the aftercare of how the hospitals deal with it
1: so at my level of di- of direct involvement is particularly with the family who is experiencing that event or those events um i work at a, pedi- a pediatric setting and as a chaplain i have been in position in a position to support people who are having i mean just devastating life events, Um, to say it, you know, that way. What's changed for me is that since becoming a father, I have now more awareness of the father's experience in those moments. Prior to that, and I can say, I, you know, I'll tell on myself, prior to that, I was more focused on the mom in the room and not the dad. So I would walk in and if mom, which was usually the case, was more emotive and having a difficult time externally showing signs of of uh grief and pain and crying and the whole nine, then I would cater more toward her needs. I would see dad. I would acknowledge dad, but dad wasn't crying. Dad wasn't f- verbally expressing himself. I assumed that dad was having a bad time, but clearly the one who needs attention and clearly within air quotes was mom. And so I would devote my energy to her. I would have people call me and say, you know, can you please come and support mom, specifically mom? And so I would get there and I would specifically support mom. After becoming a father, I real, and going through all of these experiences, particularly with my firstborn, I realized that my practice needed to expand. And when I walked into rooms now, even if dad was sitting in the cut, even if dad was not verbally expressing himself, I made an attempt, a concerned attempt to go and sit with him, to sit next to him, to try to talk to him. And even if he didn't want to talk, still communicate to him that, Hey, I'm here. I see you. I feel what you're feeling for totally different reasons, but I, I, I can empathize with you in some regard. And there were times when dad did open up, you know, maybe it was not the first time, but on one occasion, you know, dad comes to me and he says, Hey, can we step outside? So, so I can talk to you really quickly. And the man just opened up. I mean, the floodgates just opened up and I was caught off guard. Like, whoa, I didn't know you were sitting on all of this. And of course he was sitting on all of this, right? Cause that's his child. That's his, that's his wife or his partner, right? That's he, he is feeling the need to hold it together. So that she doesn't see him turn into a puddle because he thinks that's how he needs to present himself as the support person. Right. So yeah, um, I feel like I'm going all over the place now, but yeah. once, once that became clear to me, you know, it, it, it really changed how I now continue to approach my my work when I walk into these spaces, into these rooms with family members, and also to advocate for dad, even when dad is not present, right? So has anyone spoken to him? What are his needs? Um, How can we include him into the conversation, right? Mom, do you know what he might be thinking about, or do you know what he might be those type of things to make sure that the medical team is not just hyper focusing on mom. Cause there was this one instance, it wasn't, it wasn't anything devastating to the degree of like losing life or this family losing their child, but it was the possibility of, I think it was a cancer diagnosis and this family, the mother was bilingual Spanish and English, and the father was primarily Spanish-speaking. And the medical team was using the mom as an interpreter so that she can communicate medical information to her husband while they had the capacity to have either an in-person interpreter or to use technology in order to communicate that information to dad. And so I was like, this is not right because she needs to be a mom and she needs to be a wife. She can't be mom, wife, and interpreter. Like that's, that's just not how this is supposed to work. So my experiences have opened my eyes more to places where I can, and I have been the advocate for the dad.
0: What You're saying is so important and that it's okay for a guy, a father, a man to open up and to be emotional when you're going through this. And it is so critical to your success and to your relationship and to how you progress on a day-to-day basis. What would be your parting words of advice, your top tips to guys going through miscarriage? I would
1: say you have the right to have feelings and thoughts and expressions about what's going on, not only do you have the right to have them, you have the right to express them. And not only do you have the right to express them, you have the right to express them at the same time that she's expressing how difficult it is for her to have gone through this miscarriage. Like that is okay for you to do as well. You have the right to be, in that room you know i mean thank you for for raising that for asking that question and for now making me aware that that's something that i need to think about and explore you have the right to be with your partner when she's getting that dnc like you have the right to also be seen as and acknowledged like your experience has the right to be acknowledged by everyone who is acknowledging her pain and her experience. Like that is a thing that you have the right of. So, you know, yeah,
0: I'll I'll just, I'll just leave it
1: there. I think, I think those would be my, those would be my parting words.
0: Great tips and advice. Remember guys, you are not alone. The guy to your left, the guy to your right, probably Has gone through miscarriage and if they haven't yet, they probably will go through it at some point. It's not an exclusive club. It is something that you can talk about. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be ashamed to talk about it. It's normal. It's part of life and stay strong. Keep your heads up. And remember we're here for you. If you need to talk, feel free to reach out to us. Feel free to connect with us, share your stories, come on the podcast, get involved. We want to hear you. Your voice is important. And keep keep talking, keep talking and sharing your stories and journeys and keep up with the amazing work that, that you are doing. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Dan, thank you so much for this platform and this
0: opportunity, brother. You've just listened to another great episode of Men Talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org, today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.